and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Yes, today is 5 June, June the 5th, 2012, which means you must go and vote. Aha, yes. Vote, vote, vote. I can't tell you who to vote for. That's against the rules. <laughs> today, June the 5th, is an anniversary. Every day is an anniversary. Too much, too much. I can't stand it. Uh, Oh, so many lists. Anyway, um, in 1919, right, um, we had uh, an, uh, let's see, it was the 19th Amendment. It gave women the vote. That was the, let's see, yes, is that the 4th or the 5th? Anyway, the Constitution, up to that point, had denied the franchise to all but white males and mostly males with property. Uh, Now, some of the states actually gave us the vote um, before that, but it was 1919 when my mother was 17 years old. Right. That's when we got the vote, um... African-American males got the vote along with emancipation back in the day. That's right after the Civil War. Um, I don't know. I think that the the votes for women, that franchise, came through um, in 1919 because it was the end of World War One, during which women had proved their manhood, so to speak. The British... Uh, suffragists led the way, let's see, the Pankhursts, Emmeline Pankhurst, yes, played by Sean Phillips in that wonderful television show, Shoulder to Shoulder. She had two daughters, and they were also militant feminists. Uh, I wish they still showed those things in schools. Anyway, it was all kind of um, parallel to what the abolitionists had done in the 19th century. Uh, Now, today, let's see, this month, June, the entire month is the LGBT Awareness Month, and so it goes, yes, this arc of history. (laughs) I'm going to quit making lists of anniversaries, for gosh sakes. Uh, June the 4th is the date for Tiananmen Square, China's tragic hour when the goddess of democracy took a fall. I still have a picture of that 
beautiful figure that the students made and uh, uh, counting. That was 23 years ago. I was at the press club in Washington, D.C., and we were getting book awards, but few of the writers who were present that day said a word about China's pain. I tried, but... uh, one of the Chinese writers told me, well, later, not not uh, uh, for public consumption, but she said uh, it was the custom to throw 10,000 scholars in a hole and that sort of thing. She said, I was naive about Chinese history, that student protests were not the sort of thing that the rulers indulged in. In those parts, well, we'll see. Things are changing there and everywhere. Uh, At my age, I keep thinking, is it more history or just the same history? As one poet said, it's one damn thing after another. And then another poet said, no, it's the same damn thing over and over. Take your It's so overwhelming. I think that's probably my age. Uh, What is that? Things accumulate to the point where you just feel like uh, you have clay feet. It's impossible to keep track. You know how that goes. Uh, All the dates and the weddings and the funerals and the rituals and things just kind of melt into a piece, the living and the dying and the getting and the spending and circles and circles, the end is in the beginning. And yet we go on, says Samuel Beckett. Ah, that's what it is, Beckett. He said something about history's hinge, or I did, um, (laughs) about that speeding train of time. History making those sharp U-turns when half the thinkers fall off. (laughs) Things are going so fast. Oh, oh, we old folks, we can't turn on a dime. I think we need a show about uh, old folks. We'll call it Old Enough to Know Better. Too many cliches about age. We need some iconoclasts to tackle that one. Uh, Oh, God, it's all finite, folks. Yes, the orgasms and the apples, the cars and candy bars of a lifetime. The books and the movies, the operations and adulteries, the triumphs and trips to the seashore. (laughs) These are my, my old quips. I'm looking here at my old quips. Yes, the poet is born, not made, kids. Those of us finite literary ladies, leprechaunesses, loveresses, prophetesses, Ms. Fit and Ms. Unsolicited. We're on the shelf now. Didn't work out, so we didn't get in the big book. You know the book. The book belongs to the boys. (laughs) Let us go then, you and I. To sink in sorrow or in gin, we have lingered in the trousers of our times. By coffeehouse Lotharios, abandoned and seduced, till modern poets date us. And we're goosed, 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 goosed. 
I despair. Lately, it makes me wonder. Um, an old friend called up the other day and said she was sick of politics. She wasn't meeting any men that way anymore. You know how it was. You used to be able to go, <laughs> go to the meetings, go hang out with the underground, and uh, it would turn into a romance. But that doesn't seem to work out anymore. Uh, I don't know. I just don't know. I dug in my my notes, and I found something that dates way back. Uh, let's see. It was published in an anthology, and the um, uh, it says, yes, the time of our lives, and it was all about women riding on sex after 40, and this is so old, you see, that it dates back to the time when women thought that uh, sex after 40 was a problem nowadays, I think. What is that? <laughs> what is that? 70 is the new 50. Anyway, I think I have just time to read you this. I was going to do uh, a piece on dear Toni Morrison, who's just received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and uh, Bob Dylan, and they were all there on television. But you can watch television and see that for yourselves. Toni Morrison will be celebrated this September at the University of Virginia. And I want to get her last book and try to not sum things up, but to say something about... Uh, her legacy, I guess she's 80 now, and uh, it always gives me a pang to realize that um, our own American great writer uh, is the last of our literary lights to win a Nobel Prize back in 93, I think it was. Uh, American writers doesn't look good just now, but not to worry, the other countries, the other the other writers... They are carrying the torch. Uh, <laughs> never mind, yes. Torches. <laughs> I got up at four in the morning, watched the Queen get her 60th anniversary tribute. And I had to bust out laughing. Poor Prince Philip, 91 years old, speaking of age, yes. The poor guy had to stand around on a ship for hours and hours. No wonder he got a bladder infection. I don't think... We should have to talk about things like that. Uh, his son, Prince Charles, said, "Well, uh, well, he said uh, he, he didn't. He didn't include the word bladder. Uh, I just think it's it's what is it? It makes me long for the days when we used euphemisms and people were just indisposed." Uh, anyway, Elizabeth, eighty-six years old, standing there trying to tap her foot. Uh, Pretty soon there will be four generations of British royals to keep us amused in the dark hours. Uh, anyway, let me read you this little little essay called Angst because it tries to get into the relationship between the personal and the political and the ways in which so many of us uh, think that politics just might be the place where we, uh, what is it? We can put together uh, our most personal desires and feelings along with our hopes for the world at large. Anyway, this is called Angst for the Memory. I'm running out of men who knew me when, you know, when I was thin. 
desirable, presentable, and worth the effort. You remember Henry Miller's line, an old, oh dear, an old euphemism is a dead loss. Oh no, dear, says the man seated across from me at the breakfast table. An old D is a dead loss. Smiling like the satyr he'd like to be. Footnote here. We can't use these words. My goodness. When will that change? Not in my lifetime, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> it's so comic to watch the horrors on television and then watch them. Uh, uh, what is that? Take a little gray circle to cover up a woman's breast. You know the sort of thing. Anyway. Uh, the man seated across the table has uh, confessed or has told me that he thinks that uh, the dead loss involved uh, is the uh, male libido, let's call it. Uh, oh, that, as if that were all I say. Ah, it's not about that stuff all the time. Are men as obsessed with getting it up as they seem to be? Is that really their measure of manhood? Oh, for me, it's the lonely thing. It's thinking that I, I am the only one who will never leave me. <laughs> Sometimes that's a great thought. Now, oh, once I thought that if I got married, I would never be lonely, and married was the loneliest I got. Being without the one you're with. Sometimes sex is as close as men get. Closeness, intimacy. Oh, gosh, sometimes it's all so tiring. When I was young, uh, I think I took sex in place of affection, but my feelings were hurt when my... Uh, emotions were blunted, you know, the orgasm wouldn't come. Was that masochism? Could be psychological pout. I tried to keep things simple. Ah, yes. I told myself, an orgasm a day keeps the psychiatrist at bay, but orgasms are a dime a dozen now. All that really keeps me alive keeps me breathing, is knowing someone somewhere cares whether I live or die. I want to believe that men and women grow more alike as they age. It doesn't always give me what I want. I mean, who could? Well, I mean, I could, but that's the whole other dimension. With him, it's knowing he knew me when. We were tear gas together. We're pieces of the same history, fragments of an age. When I'm feeling frail, he gives me confidence. He reflects my existential aura, helps me do battle with my dragons, my fear of being all I am. He celebrates my accomplishments, my hero's journey, even my grandiose schemes. I need him to take away my doubt. Come to the party with me. In the early days, he even read my reviews to his friends. 
His favorite was, She's so down to earth, you have to take your shoes off to read her. <laughs> he, he is as good as it gets. He was not like that male chauvinist prig before him, the one that I thought was changing or had changed or might change, and I still can't help but regret the shipwreck of that affair. Ah, the one that promised peace. The one that rekindled, uh, you know, from time to time, came up with a kinder, gentler intimacy because we had hurt each other in the past. Each time around, I thought, this time we will be tolerant and humorous. Surely the time has come to forgive. We both know the gentleman with the scythe is sitting here at the breakfast table with us, sharing our prunes. This time we will be refined, affectionate. We will... Shield each other's solitude. We will maintain a mutual front before the onslaught from without. Rapport will replace romance. Our world-weary warmth will hold hands by the hearth. And other hallmark cards. Oh, it's a movie myth of oh, that age ripens, mellows, softens. <laughs> George Bernard Shaw, in his play Heartbreak House, he has uh, old Captain Shotover call it, quote, the sweetness of the fruit that's going rotten. Well, I suppose some folks soften, some turn to stone, right? <laughs> I asked myself, in the case of the affair before this one or the one before the last one or anyway, I wondered why he should be the one to surface uh, year after year. Back then, we didn't have much in common early on, except we were so much alike. Ah, looking back at those alcoholic spasms we called love affairs in the days of the flowers and the funk. I think originally we came together because we were in some way closet Victorians trying to come out. Once he upstaged me beyond my wildest dreams, became more myself than I am. Life... Life came along and pickled him. I tried to love a pickle. And <laughs> he wouldn't let me no go, just sat and glared. Who is it said, men don't have to leave? They've already left. Desperate for guidance, I once went to a feminist seminar, cheerfully titled, A Feminar. The question posed was, is sexual intimacy possible without a dominant submission paradigm? Well, not at my house. Over coffee, I tried to practice 
intimacy the new age way. <laughs> One new world order deserves another, but I wish to goddess they'd find a new postmodern phrase for this phase of fascist fragmentation. I began by telling this man I loved to distraction that it is patriarchy which separates us. It is patriarchy which forbids sharing and closeness. Real men don't give themselves away. Intimacy, he yelled. Intimacy is everywhere. Much of it is violent and abusive. I show him Susan Howe's book, My Emily Dickinson. <laughs> Susan Howe writes that the sad riddle of the world is that sadism breaks down barriers between isolate souls. I ask him if that is why he's yelling at me, because violence forces reaction. He tells me I need taking down a peg or two. I am overconfident, he says. I don't listen, he says. He's right about that. <laughs> if I listened, I would feel betrayed. Is bad faith the lot of most lovers? He, on the other hand, he is fallocentric to a fault. Uh, suddenly, pissed off, he tells me I don't even understand my own sexual response tells me clitoral stimulation is an infantile form of sexual activity and that the only mature female response uh, can be had only in depth and so on and so forth. Stunned, I decide not to tell him how many years it took me to learn how to adjust my own sexual needs to those uh, of males, especially the males who think they know what they are doing. Even today, many women struggle to get their sexual needs met simply because so many men still believe sex is an athletic business. Uh, I uh, would like to think of it as a comfort zone, at least. <laughs> at least at my age, I look at this jockocrat and say simply that the clitoris is analogous to the penis uh, no go. He puts his trust in the main thrust. We get into a fight over the issue of female genital mutilation. Uh, FGM is the excision of the clitoris and other genital tissue in 40 African and Arab countries. I yell uh, that he can't... <laughs> He can't get it up without an argument, and he dismisses my reference books. I give him The Height Report, Phyllis Chesler's About Men, Nawal El Sadawe's The Hidden Face of Eve. He tells me my sources are tainted, second-rate. He will not take knowledge at my hands. He will not learn of me that would be against his religion. He is orthodox. His power comes from withholding. Okay, um, sticking to his guns, he pulls out his Nietzsche. Yes, you remember Nietzsche saying, do not go among women without your whip. <laughs> I tell myself that one curmudgeon deserves another. 
I tell him that at our age we don't need to win anymore. He shrugs this off. My existential angst threatens his nihilistic nausea. I insist there's space for both. Duality is destiny. Why? Why, I ask him, why? Can't you make the yes and adjustment instead of always saying no but? When you say no to my reality, is it because it threatens your own? I need you to care, or my courage fails me. I put my hands on his shoulders and ask him, What would the world be like if men believed in women? <laughs> He is not user-friendly. The fascist fun has just begun. I must go along with his mythos. Or he will not sleep with me. I used to believe in the truth until I found out what it was. If I throw stones at his glass... Oops. Let's say glass posterior. I will lose him. Flustered by lust and hope, I do what I did in the beginning. When I learned to love, male arousal was sacrosanct. I read my D.H. Lawrence, did as I was told, worshipped in his temple because I thought that would lead him to mine. I believed. I had the faith that the erotic was romantic, that sexual liberation would open the door to the rose garden. Ah... Uh, However, I grew older. I learned to love myself. The door to the rose garden became red when I found the rose of Gertrude Stein. Civilization begins with a rose, wrote Gertrude. Gertrude Stein's rose, rosebud, is a clitoris. The heart of the matter. It is the metaphor for her art. Woman's sexuality is biological fact. It is part of primal elder religious faith. It is the curse of patriarchy. Between 80 and 90 million women on the globe have suffered genital mutilation so deep is the universal fear of female sexuality footnote here. That uh, number, I believe, last time I looked, was 120 million women. I turn to the man of the moment, the cheerful one. Oh, <laughs> always at the breakfast table I ask him, what would happen on this earth if men and women revered a female principle? In fact, in fiction, metaphor, what if we worshipped not only the phallic pillar, the tree of life, but the... He puts away his dishes. <laughs> A little noisily, he says, I know what's going to happen to me if I don't get out of your revolving door. I'm not going to get any work done today. That piece was written so long ago, it seems to me, not just an anachronism, but <laughs> old hat. 
very, very old hat. Uh, uh, so few men and women still today are uh, equipped for uh, what we call friendships. I remember writing a letter to the late, great Charles McCabe suggesting friendship between men and women. He said that was always the way he started his seductions, right? Uh, said if you kept it up long enough, the woman was sure to uh, make a man of you. <laughs> this has been Jennifer Stone. I will be back on the air next week at this same time. Until then, get out and vote. Vote early and vote often. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys There's your picture Are you interested in bringing the voice of your community to the airwaves? Passionate about learning media skills to help underrepresented communities express their goals, interests, and challenges? KPFA's First Voices is currently accepting applications for our 18-month apprenticeship program. It includes training in broadcasting, journalism, activism, community building techniques, technical engineering, basic office administration, social media promotion, and creative expression. Apprentices learn from skilled professionals from KPFA and beyond about the theories and practices behind radio production. Apprentices are current to tell the stories that they want to hear. First Voices is based on a collaborative work environment where mentor apprentices pass on the skills needed to run a community radio program for the next generation of media makers. Applications are due Friday, June 8th at 5 p.m. You can find the application online at www.kpfaapprentice.org. You can also call us at 